You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. He's with a group of missionaries. He goes down every year and trains our Foursquare missionaries, and he's doing that for four days. So pray for him. It's intense. It's great. It's wonderful. But uh, we're so glad we get to contribute in a lot of different ways to uh, God's kingdom and what he's up to. Hey, I want to thank you, too. I forgot to do this. Please forgive me, but uh, I usually do this before now. Thank you for your Christmas cards, and we really appreciate that. And now the new thing is not just Christmas cards. We get New Year's cards. I I, I don't know if you just forgot Christmas and went, whoops, i got to get together a New Year's. I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Uh, because it might be a good thing to do, but we love it, and so continue to do that. And I hope you know that when you send those cards to us, um, we get to pray for you, and when we send cards to you, you pray for us. It's a great way to do that. It's a great way to pray for families. And so again, thank you very, very much. So here's what we want to do right now. We want to take out our Bibles. If you have your Bible, you can get a head start. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. We have an outline that you can follow in your bulletin, on the back of your bulletin, But before we talk about our Father in heaven, let's talk to him. Let's do that. Father, we want to thank you today for your generosity in our lives and the way that you treat us, the way that you love us. We're entering a year that we have themed because of your Holy Spirit in our life and the convictions that we feel. This is a year for radical love. And uh, we don't know all together what that means or what we're even getting ourselves into. We just know that you have radically loved us through your life, your death, and resurrection. And let us do the same. We take on this new commandment, uh, love one another as we've been loved by you. And so we thank you for that, and we give you honor. In Jesus' name we pray, and we say together, amen. Well, I'm not sure if you've, um, you've ever tried to put together a puzzle when it, you didn't have a picture to help guide you through the process. And I know that Christmas time is a time to sit down and do fun things and have puzzles and those kinds of things, but Annette is the puzzle person in our family. She tells me that, that if I work on puzzles, it will help me with my memory uh, when I get older, uh, but I always forget the instructions. I just don't know what's going on. just can never remember those instructions. Puzzles are hard enough with pictures, but uh, pretty much impossible without them. See, Annette, uh, she has been known to keep thousand-piece jigsaw puzzles in these Ziploc bags. And uh, I I don't know what she's going to do with them. What I'm guessing is she likes a challenge. So when she turns 80, that's going to be her challenge. She's going to go and open those things without a picture and try to put those jigsaw puzzles together. All of us have puzzle makers in our house, don't we? We have puzzle workers in our house. I'm not one of them. Uh, I just, I, you know, you give me three pieces, I'm good, but you, you add on more than that, I am really in trouble. Um, I, I'm still trying to figure out borders and corners when you do all that, you know. That just gets me right there. That helps, but it gets me. Uh, but unless we have a big picture, it's, it's pretty difficult to do. And, and you need a big picture to make sure that, uh, uh, that you know what that's going to look like, that picture is going to look like. And really, this is what we're doing. So what we're doing, what we're beginning today is we're beginning a series called The Hall of Faith. And uh, the reason we're doing that is, is because we want to we wanna do some, we want to study some of the main players in the Old Testament. It's, it's more of an overview or a big picture approach designed to help us understand the Old Testament. Uh, I want to understand the Old Testament a little more. I know that a lot of us aren't sure sometimes about the Old Testament. What is it about? But we know this. We know it's about redemption. It's about pointing us to Jesus and the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we often think the Old Testament is, is harsh. I know many have this conception that it, it lacks compassion. When in reality, what's happening is the Old Testament is leading us to the love of Jesus. That all through the Old Testament, you're going to find places, as you will today, you're going to find places where you see this radical love of God at work. Uh, going about his business to save us because we're fallen, we're broken, we're people with sin in our lives. We've been born into it. And then we see this effort, this journey that God and his Holy Spirit is on to rescue us from our sin and from our brokenness. And we see that in the Old Testament. It just didn't begin in the Gospels. And when I say gospel, I hope you understand what I mean. The word gospel to me, the meaning of the word gospel is a powerful thing because it means everything that's said between and including Genesis and Revelation. That is the good news message. And if you remember, the good news came to us immediately after we fell in Genesis 3.15. It's called the good news message. That's the verse. It's good news. And the good news is stronger and more powerful than we are. Uh, The good news isn't as fragile as you are. It's not as fragile as your economy. It's not as fragile as your politics. It's not as fragile as your relationships. Wow, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most powerful thing on this planet. And if you're looking for hope, if you're looking for a way, it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we find that at work in the Old Testament. And uh, for those that have opened their Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, we also have it on the screen, uh, because it's here we look at the life of Abraham. Many uh, call him Father Abraham, and his life is all about this model of faith. It uh, wasn't without its own problems, its own struggles. We see that. We're going to talk about that today. But I want you to look at verses 1 through 3 of Genesis chapter 12. And uh, as you put your finger there, remember that, that, that Abraham, has, Abraham has been on a journey. Uh, he was in the land of Ur of Chaldees with his father and his family. His father and his family picked up roots. They moved from Chaldees. They moved to Haran. And in Haran is where we pick up the story here. And then we're going to move to the promised land that God has promised Abraham. So today, to give you a little reference, when you talk about Ur, the Ur of Chaldees, you're talking about the area of Iraq. And then when you talk about uh, Haran, it is probably southeastern Turkey. So you can see the journey was quite substantial from Iraq to Turkey. It's here that God begins to speak to Abram and he tells him, I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. And this is the very beginning of God's promises being fulfilled, being fulfilled in someone that God had said you are going to be a great nation. And so we see this great journey. Canaan is the ancient name for today's name of Israel. That's the country. So what we see in verse 1 is this. The Lord said to Abram, he said, go to your country, your people, your father's household, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is an enormous promise. This is a radical promise right here because this covers all generations. This is talking about us today. This is, this is what this is really about. And God not only tells Abraham that he will be a great nation, what God does is he gives him an idea of how great that nation will be. Don't you just love that when God speaks to you? And he does this. He'll speak to us and then he'll give us a little insight, a little insight of what that promise might look like in our lives. 
lives. Um, maybe he's done that with your kids. Maybe he's done that with, at your workplace. Maybe he's done that with someone who is uh, a, not a believer in Jesus, and you're praying for him, and God gives you a glimpse of what that, that person's going to be and their life is going to be like with Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know. If you have never experienced that, pray for it because God is a promise giver and he's a promise keeper. And so you make sure that you pray that way. But what he does in Genesis 15, 5 is remarkable. He takes Abraham outside and he says to him, he says, look up at the sky. You want to know how great this nation's going to be? I want you to look up at the sky and you count the stars. Of course, we know it's impossible. That's the whole point. It's indeed, you cannot count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Pretty crazy, pretty remarkable. A couple of things come to mind when we read this verse. One is that God wants to to bless us in ways that we cannot imagine. Um, I know this, I know this, and it's my tendency is I want to reduce God's blessing to my life to things that I can understand, I can get a hold of, that I can reach, that they're close by. But God's saying, no, I want to promise you in more miraculous, wonderful ways. I want to promise you in ways that you cannot reach, that you cannot do on your own, that there's no way that you can provide or make this happen on your own. This happens because God is the provider. He's the one that makes these promises come true. And so we read this, and it's amazing because we see God wants to bless and beyond our imagination. Second thing that I, I think about is this is incredible that God chooses an elderly, infertile couple to populate a nation. That just does not make sense. I mean, just uh, you know, first glance, if you were doing a job interview for someone who wanted to populate or build a nation, not sure they would even make the first cut. Uh, because they just didn't have the tools to, to make that happen. Uh, this would not have been my first choice, I know that, probably not even my hundredth choice. Uh, but, he, but here's what we often forget, that Abraham and Sarah were everyday normal people just like you and me. That's what can slide by us over time. What we have a tendency, a tendency to do is we have a tendency to make our Bible characters like kind of like this right here. Let's see if we can get that up there. Uh, give me that. There, we, that's, what we, that's what we're looking for. Uh, how we imagine all, our Bible characters, and we think about that, and that's what they're superheroes. Um, probably they look more like this right here. That's probably what they look like. They probably look like more like you and me in a Spider-Man outfit. I mean, if we're thinking about, you know, characters and superheroes. You know, and, and I hate to throw a wet blanket on some of you that might think they were the former picture, but they're probably more like the latter uh, especially Abraham and Sarai were probably that way. And I love that about how God uses people like us. Uh, it's so easy to forget that Abraham and Sarah had no idea how their everyday decisions were going to impact the future. So, so I'm going to take the rest of our time together. I'm going to look at Abraham's faith journey because if we don't know God and what God wants to build in you and the way that he wants to build your faith life, it can become overwhelming for us. If we don't think or feel or sense or know that God's about something in our lives and that he's building us up, then the problems that we face every day can really overwhelm us. And I I think that the, the, the great thing that we can find out today if we need to rediscover it or discover it for the first time is that God is always about his work in you. Uh, Whether we recognize it, know it, consciously, subconsciously, he is always working in our lives. And the reason is, is because he cares, because he loves loves us. 
It's important to, to remind ourselves that when hard times come, God has a plan. You might not have a plan, but God always has a plan. And again, no one would have chosen Abraham and Sarah to start, um, start a nation for God. Now, there are two reasons that come to mind immediately. One, as I've already mentioned, it's, it's their age. Um, it's their age here. Abraham, when this promise was given, he was about 75 years old. Sarah was about 65 years old. It's about a 10-year difference there. Uh, so listen to me here. If you, and I, I want you to understand this, if you are age-enhanced today, you know, and, and I pulled that one off, didn't I? If you are age-enhanced, um, there's encouragement here. And uh, the, the way that I think God would want to encourage you today is your story is not over. You still have a story that God is working in you and that we do have a responsibility to share that story with others. I, I love our prime timers here at this church. You guys are amazing. Just amazing group of people. Annette and I were, um, were hanging out with our prime timers yesterday. We had a big party uh, kind of felt good because when I went away, I said Annette to Annette, weren't we kind of the youngest people in the room, you know? <laughs> prime timers, I think we were, uh, but we had a great time because, listen, our prime timers party more than y'all, you know? They, they just want to go and have fun and be together and fellowship, and I love to be there because what happens is there's an encouragement. I walked away, and, uh, and, and I told Annette, these are the people that have taught us how to live life. You know, these are our mothers and fathers that have taught us how to live a life of faith, how to trust in the Lord. And I know it's not without its hardships and its, its difficulties, and some almost feel unbearable, especially when you lose the loved ones that you care so deeply for. But I want to thank our prime timers for being people who have led the way. You have not been afraid. There has not been fear that I've seen in your life. I know we deal with it. But I've recognized, and Annette and I want to recognize today, uh, in front of everyone that we just are so blessed that we have a group of prime timers that have led us well. Um, and so keep leading. Uh, keep talking to us about Jesus. Keep talking to us about things that really matter in life. And so we have a couple reasons here why these people aren't <laughs> probably the people you would pe- uh, pick here. Age is one of them. Uh, but from a f- human perspective, this w- was not the time to start a new career. I mean, you know, you're 75 and it's really not a time to go out and say, yeah, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to start all over again. Uh, but that's really what happens with Abraham and Sarah. They start all over again. I mean, this is, this is, a, a, this is a huge deal that takes place because the one uh, that would bear a child here is past her childbearing age. So you would think that the prerequisite for the job here to build a nation would be able to have kids. You'd think that would be like number one thing. But that's not how God's looking at all this. That's not how God is even looking at you and me today. He's, he's looking at, at what his word says and, and the strength and the power of God's Holy Spirit working in people who are obedient, people who say, I, I'm going to do what you asked me to do because even, even what it says here is uh, God says, I'm going to take you to the land, <laughs> I love this, that I will show you. That's comforting. There's no destination here that he knows of. Now, imagine that happening to you, especially at the age of 75 or so, and God comes to you and says, hey, pack up everything, move to the land that I will show you. You don't know where that's at. He knows, but you don't. 
Now, that, that is a huge step of faith. So interesting to me that throughout the Bible, the people who made a significant difference were men and women we would not have chosen. They're not people we would choose. And here's that great word, nevertheless. Nevertheless, God did a work. Nevertheless, God begins to populate a nation. You know, and this is still true today. God has an amazing part for you to play in his story. Amazing part for everyone in this room that hears the word of God and that you can not only be a hearer of the word of God, but you can be a doer of the word of God today. Once you hear it, because what it does tell us is that Abraham went. He heard it and he went. That's obedience. That's radical obedience right there. And I love it because that's what it says in Genesis 12, 4. It tells us, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram, 75 years old when he was set out from Haran. It's pretty remarkable what happens here. And then his story is retold again in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And I love this. And this is where we get the term the hall of faith because that's what happens. Abraham's included with a group of other leaders here. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. That, to me, always gets me. It always grabs my heart because I'm one that wants to know. Uh, It's hard enough to go somewhere when you already know. How much more difficult would it be when you don't even know where your destination is going to be? And so what does faith look like? I think when we read this passage of Scripture, these passages, we've got to ask the question, what does it look like in real life, in real time? Well, number one, I think this is so true. Faith is obeying God when you don't know where you are going. Um, I was about ready to graduate high school. Uh, had some calamities take place that, that altered my course. Uh, my trajectory, my vocation, my profession radically changed everything. I had no clue. Uh, I was in a wandering land, and I didn't know what to do. I really didn't. I, I, didn't, I didn't have any idea. And, and uh, the last thing on my mind was um, going to Bible college. It really was. I wasn't even thinking about Bible college until someone brought it up. And they said, hey, have you ever thought about Bible college? I said, nope. And uh, they said, well, that might be something you want to think about. My father came to me and he did one of the most brilliant things. He uh, let his son think he was in charge because 18-year-olds always think they're in charge. And uh, he said, I will pay for your first year of Bible college if you'll just go one year. Well, I did. I took him up on it. I ended up going four. Uh, I had no clue what I was getting myself into. Absolutely no clue. I signed up like four days before class started. Didn't have the greatest GPA out of high school, wondered why they even took me, you know, didn't know anything about the school I was attending, didn't know anything, didn't know the denomination, didn't know anything about the school, nothing about the professors. I went to the land that he was showing me. That's what was happening. But from there, so many things have taken place, so many wonderful things happen and have happened in my life, not the least of which is I met Annette the next year, and that just changed everything. And then we move here, and we've started a family, and our family's growing up here. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what happens when God calls us? It's amazing. And here's what I know. I know there are people here in this room right now 
that God is calling you to take the next step. That's what I know. Uh, I know his call is going out. You're uh, probably even questioning that. You might even be asking the question, who's talking to me? You know, but it's a persistent call. And he's calling you. He's saying things to you. He's asking you to take that next step, whatever that might look like. It might be a next step where you have to emotionally jump over something. There's hurdles there. It might be about a relationship that has been broken, that he's asking you to help mend. It could be a lot of different things. It could be the mission field. It can be ministry. It can be a vocation. But I know this. God is always at work and that he's asking you to do that. And remember, you might not know where this is all going. You might not have an idea where this is headed, but God does. So here's what I know. I know that how God has worked in my life and how he works in your life is fairly similar. Uh, I know the first thing that God did with me is he got my attention. Doesn't God have a unique way of just getting your attention? Because you're going about your business doing whatever you want to do, and you're on your own merry way, and you think That's, this is actually uh, where you're supposed to be going. God has other plans, and he gets your attention. He has a lot of ways to get your attention, but he will get your attention. (laughs) And then he puts you in a place where you have to listen. Honestly, I hate that. You know, I like like a little more noise. You know, I I like to uh, control my own destiny. But God's saying, no, this is the time to listen. And then the next thing he does in that listening process, and it's the only thing that really can happen when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, uh, when he starts to really deeply transact with your spirit, there's a stirring that goes on, and you're wondering, what is happening here? You realize that your passions are changing, your desires are changing, and they're leaning toward God, and they're leaning to executing the, the plans of God's kingdom. That's what happens. There's kind of a stir that takes place. And then then God comes and says, okay, go. Go to the place I'm going to show you. I I, I know that a lot of us have this tendency when God says to go. uh, We want to get it all put together. And uh, I call that ready, aim, 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 and aim some more. And you think because you aimed, you did it. No, you got to fire got to pull the trigger on it you got to go feet have everything to do with faith radical love has everything to do with your feet it's getting you that's what it says here he went i love what it says in genesis 15 6 it says this abraham believed the lord and he credited it to him as righteousness abraham believed the lord he believed the lord And you know, I don't know how this all took place. It says he went, and as he was going, he was believing, but he was doing all this together with what God was asking him to do. He was being pointed in a direction. In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, Paul the Apostle writes this. He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Can I say this? 
this is a summary of his life. It does not mean that it wasn't without its struggles, that it wasn't without its trouble and problems, because there certainly was a few troubles and problems that took place. One we're going to mention right now, and that means that there are some bumps in the road, because number two, faith is believing God against all hope. Just doesn't look like it can happen. Just looks impossible. When things are the darkest, and that's when that's that, that that's when sometimes we want to take things into our own hands. It's like, okay, God, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired of you running the ship. I'm going to run the ship now. Um, that this is the place that we get ourselves into a lot of trouble, and it did. The same with Abraham, because in Genesis 16, 1 and 2, uh, it says, So Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps uh, I can build a family through her. And then it says, Abraham agreed to what she said. You know, this is like watching the same movie like the 10th time. Have you ever done that? You know, you've watched a movie over and over and over again, and at this critical point, you're just hoping another decision will be made, not the one that's made. You know, and you think every time you watch it, it's going to change. Have you ever done that? I mean, I've done that. I've watched the movie and said, no, 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 don't do that. But it's a movie, and it's going to happen the same way because it's already, it's history. That's what happens. That's what happens every time. I'm going to tell you this, all you baseball fans, every time, uh, every time I watch the 1951, before my time, n- watch the 1951 National League pennant, Dodgers versus Giants, Bobby Thompson of the, Do- uh, the Giants hits a walk-off home run and beats the Dodgers. And every time I watch that clip, I'm going, no, don't let it happen. Throw it outside. Don't do it. Don't do it. He whacks it out of the park because it's history. That's what I feel here. Why in the world did Abraham agreed what Sarah said. It just says, and he agreed. Well, sure. <laughs> you knucklehead, you know. Problems start right here. Well, let's do this on our own. We're going we're gonna to do all this on our own. When we lose hope, there are a few ways that we can respond. When we, we think we've got to take things into our own hands, when we lose hope... Number one is we can say, no way, I'm out of here, we check out. Um, I'm done. That's one way we can respond. Another one is half in and half out. (laughs) Ever done that? Well, you know, um, I'm really not in, I'm really not out, but we'll just kind of see how this goes. If there's a little more pain involved, I think I'll be out. We also can say, no, my way. And that's exactly what Abraham and Sarah did right here. In Genesis 16, uh, 12, it got him into a whole lot of trouble because they have a child named Ishmael. And it says that Ishmael was born from Hagar, um, Sarah's maidservant. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. Folks, that's, that's a problem that exists today. Something that happened about 4,000 years ago is still... Uh, troublesome to us today. The decision that was made right here in Genesis 16 is something that we still, everyone has to wrestle with uh, because uh, there's the conflict that goes on right now in the Middle East. Can I tell you something? It's easy for us when we're in this nation, and I get it, we need to pray, and the Bible tells us to pray for peace, uh, but you have to know anytime there's a blood feud, uh, to resolve a blood feud is very, very difficult. You've got half-brothers 
that are all the way through history, from this point on, are just struggling and struggling and struggling uh, with each other. And so we still are dealing with that choice. We make trouble for ourselves when we circumvent God's plan for our life. And we forget his call and what he's asked us to do. And then, of course, there's a fourth way, and that is to do it God's way, you know? To say, God, I've heard what you've said. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. God's way was to do what he always planned to do in this case and was to have a son through Abraham and Sarah. Not just Abraham, but Sarah is part of this. Abraham at this time is about 99 years old. Um, Sarah's about 90 years old. So Isaac is born to these older parents. And what an incredible miracle this is. It takes place in Genesis chapter 22. But from the time that Abraham was promised this, this, this gift, Abraham and Sarah, imagine this, going 25 years or more without any evidence. That's a long time. I struggle with a few weeks, maybe, you know, maybe a few years. That's tough. But here they've gone this long, and then God provides. But here comes the test. And anytime God provides and he does it in a miraculous way, there will always be a miraculous kind of test that will follow. Sooner or later it comes, and it came to Abraham and Sarah. It's the test of all tests. It's found in Genesis chapter 22. Our blessings will always be tested. And there's a reason why our blessings will always be tested. One is, the question will have to be asked, do we love and trust the blessing more than the one who's given the blessing? Does that make sense? Have we got attached to the blessing, or are we really attached to the blessing giver? And so, in Genesis 22, 1 and 2, it says, Some time later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and I love this, here am I, he replied, And then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him. Would you remember this word, sacrifice? I'm going to come back to it. Sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will uh, will show you. And then in verse 3, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, he loaded his donkey, he took with him his two servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. I want you to notice that phrase, early the next morning. Uh, That to me, and every time I read it, and I feel it even now as I'm reading it, it is such an incredible response to God's word in our life that Abraham didn't wait around. But it says early the next morning he went out to do what God told him to do. There are times when my obedience does not look like this. You know, I, I want to think it through. I want to try to justify it. I, I want to try to make sense of it. Because actually what God's asking Abraham to do here really doesn't make a ton of sense. But it says this about him. It says, early the next morning, to me is one of the greatest acts of faith in the Bible. That one little phrase. Because hesitation leaves room for disobedience. Hesitation leaves room for this 
inward conversation that asked the question, hath God said? Has God really told me to do that? How many of you debate with God that way? I know I do. Has he said that? Obedience can sometimes cause heartache. I want to I make the record straight maybe for some of us here because when we're obedient, we think that everything's going to be peachy keen, if I can use that phrase. We do. But more often than not, obedience can cause a deep heartache because it's not the path of least resistance. It's a difficult path. Can't imagine what Sarah was thinking. I'm sometimes when I read this, I'm thinking, I, he got up early so Sarah wouldn't catch him at the door. Because that's her son. That's a mama. You're taking the mama's boy away from her. And then obedience is not always about now. Would you remember that? I, I think in, in, you know this, in a day that we live, it's, it's all about what I get now, what I feel now, the impulses I need to fulfill now. We become more like that, and, and that's just the way that things are today. But obedience is not always about fulfilling the impulses of now. It's more about the future. It's more about what your legacy will be in Jesus Christ. It's more about deferred pleasure, <laughs> that I'm doing this because I know something good is going to come from it. I might not ever live to see what actually happens, but I trust in him. I trust in him. So God might be asking you to do something now that you might not even be around to see. I think it always has to do with relationship and usually <laughs> with our children and, and, and different things like that. But now look at verse 5. I want you to read verse 5, 22, um, uh, Genesis 22, verse 5. It says, He said to his servants, Stay here, this is Abraham talking, with the donkey while I and the boy go over there we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Do you remember what God asked Abraham to originally do? Do you remember what he did and asked him to do in verse 2, and I ask you to remember the word? What did God ask Abraham to do? Sacrifice. He asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. He didn't say anything about worship. This is really interesting. It's a little twist here. Because there are things that God will ask us to do and at that moment the reality is this is a sacrifice and God's not going to pull any punches on you. He's going to tell you the truth. He's going to say to you this is going to be sacrificial. <laughs> this is going to have a ton of sacrifice to it. Now after God speaks that, how I live it out in my head, with my body, with my soul, with my spirit can make all the difference in the world. And that's exactly what Abraham does. He takes what God says to him is to be a sacrifice, and he says, I have to translate that into something else that has eternal value. And the way that I can translate the sacrifice is I can make it a worship. Can't go wrong there. There I cannot be weary in well-doing. And whatever it is that God has, let's say it feels like God has dumped you into and he's saying this is going to hurt and it's going to have some sacrifice to it, then it's up to you to say this will be a worship. Because God doesn't say that to you. It's a choice you make in your relationship with God. God says sacrifice what you say. And how you look at that sacrifice, how you walk through that sacrificial season in your life, makes all the difference in the world. Do you choose to worship Him? 
with that, with that sacrifice. Next, he says, and uh, we will come back to you, speaking to a servant. It must mean that somehow God would intervene because he promised him a son. God's promises are yea and amen. So Abraham says to his servant, hey, we're coming back. One way or another, we're coming back to you. Because he knows the promises of God are yea and amen. And then the last thing that I want to say, and we finish this, this, um, this study is faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. I think that's what I gather a lot out of this. When we don't understand because that's not the way that we saw things going. You know, we picture how our life's headed. We picture how we want it to head. And sometimes, a lot of times, it doesn't work out that way. So I want to read to you how this all played out in Genesis 22, verses 6 through 14. It says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went together, Isaac spoke up, and he said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. Uh, The fire and the water here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. And when they had reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid it on the top of the altar, on the top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on that boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Sound familiar? Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be Provided. The first thing that you notice in verse 12 is you have a foreshadowing of the relationship and what God is going to do with his own son. And you see that wrapped into a lot of the Old Testament stories. It says you have not withheld your only son, your only begotten son. You've sacrificed him. And we know our Father in heaven did that for us through his son Jesus Christ. And this is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the cross. So when we look at that, we see again the gospel of Jesus Christ at work here. It's powerful. But something else that happens in verse 14, uh, he said, Abraham said, God, that he called that place Jehovah-Jireh. God will provide. The word, the the, uh, Hebrew word is, the phrase is Jehovah-Jireh. There are about 28 places where God's people are called aside to build an altar because of something miraculous God did. So in a long period of time, 28 places is not, or 28 times is not, not a whole lot of, uh, of, of times that happened. But here is one of those places. And I want you to think about this. It says here that the Lord will provide. It is even deeper than that, the word Jehovah-Jireh. Uh, God will provide the word Jehovah-Rapha is the, that God will heal. Uh, the word Jehovah-Nisi is that God will cover us or keep us. He'll keep us safe. Here is that phrase Jehovah-Jireh. 
It means more. It goes deeper than the Lord is our provider. It means this. It means that he just doesn't provide. Rather, he is the provider. Please understand that. Because if you look at God as just your provider and not see him as, your, as the provider, that he just gives you things, there's a different dynamic in relationship. But what we understand here is he is our provider. Not just what he does, it's rather who he is. And he provides for you and he provides for me out of his radical love. He provides for us that way. So right now, all the needs in this room vary. They vary. But the one thing that we do know is we have one provider, God the provider, Jehovah Jireh. So whatever your need might be right now, know that you have a God that provides. This is what comes out of this radical love that he has for us. This is the way I want to close today. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a moment, and I want to pray for God's provision. Whatever that provision needs to be for you, he will bring provision. And if you're someone who's in need today, whatever that need might be, just as an act of faith, just lift your hand. Say, I am in need. Lift your hand. Go ahead with me. I'm lifting my hand with my head bowed, eyes closed. Father, you see all the needs that are represented here, and you care for us because you love us deeply. You have a radical love for us. Lord, I just pray that you provide everything that we need. You are our provider, that you would provide physical health and strength, that you would provide emotional stability because you are the rock that we stand on. We will never be moved. Lord, I also ask that you provide spiritually. You're our salvation. And for those that are hunting, those that are seeking, those that are pressing into you today, and they need that salvation, whether it's salvation in believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and only under that name are we saved, or if it's salvation in a place that is very difficult, very hard-pressed, that you bring your salvation. Lord, you provide. You are the one who provides. We thank you for your provision today. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, amen, amen. Would you? Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.